This is an ABC podcast. The way to think about your brain is that it's it's very it's very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And if you had to pick an organ, some guys would say it's the second most part. If you had to <laughs> if you had to pick an organ, which is most important to you. Right. I think I mean it's who you are. Yeah. And so if that's damaged, yeah. then your whole experience of, of life is yeah. is altered. So I was in third year, Newcastle Uni, halfway through medical school. This is Lewis. And I'd just done four weeks placement in a place called St Lucia in South Africa. And this is Kate. It was a beautiful, sunny Friday afternoon. Just finished work for the week. And on these particular days, several years apart and on separate continents, they were both in great moods. They were happy and excited for what lay ahead. It was the first day of kind of backpacking around South Africa and Zambia after I'd finished my placement. And it was 35 degrees. I had a long weekend coming up. It was just like, I was just so ready to go home and start my long weekend. And I got the hire car, the cheapest one I could as a uni student. <laughs> I drove five hours to the really cool place to go hiking. And I was riding my bike. I was probably going about 15 kilometres per hour trying to cross an intersection that was part of suburbia. I was driving to the hostel, a beautiful hostel in the middle of kind of the main valley. And as I was coming up to the turnoff, there was a car behind me, probably the only one I'd seen for about an hour, going really fast behind me. There was no cars around. Um, and I hit the curb and a lot of things happened at once. My front wheel somehow has become dislodged. So I face plant straight into the footpath. I am on my back screaming like I've never screamed before. There was a car behind me going really fast. So I put on my right blinker. I didn't want him to come up the back end of my car. Mm. And that's the last thing I remember. This is All in the Mind. I'm Sana Kadar. Lewis was knocked unconscious in the crash. Kate was awake, but she was pretty banged up. She'd broken some bones and had a black eye. Both had concussions. The next thing I remember is waking up in the middle of a paddock with about 20 people around the car. Now, usually when we hear about concussions, it's in the context of professional sport. Much less attention and research is paid to concussions that happen in everyday life. That means, for the average person, it can be surprisingly hard to get clear information on what to do next. I had my head scanned and I was discharged that night and given a pamphlet about concussion. We'll see you in six weeks, essentially. I felt not equipped at all. I saw one neurosurgical registrar and I said, what What should I do? He said, oh, I think don't use your brain. And then another one I saw said, use your brain as much as you can, try to get it going. And like in my head, I was like, "What? which, which one am I mm. doing? Add to that the unpredictable nature of concussions. You take two people and hit them over the head with the exact same amount of force and in the same place, and they would probably experience that blow very differently. And there's not an exact correlation between how hard you hit your head and the impact that it has on your brain. Concussion is so underplayed and poorly understood that I felt like I wasn't prepared and I felt like everyone around me wasn't prepared because it's not taken as seriously as it should be. So today, we wade through the confusion around concussions, why they often fall through the cracks of medical care, and what the research says you should now do if you hit your head. 
looks like. I'm getting the thumbs up for my... Have you ever thought about what happens in the brain during a concussion, like the mechanics of it? Nazanin, can you hear me? It's pretty graphic, actually. Yep, I can hear you. Okay. Here to describe uh, it is Nazanin Virgi Babel. I'm a physical therapist, a neuroscientist, and associate professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. So when there's a blow to the head or any part of the upper body, the brain actually slams into the inside of the skull on the front part of the skull and then the brain kind of vibrates backwards. So both the front part of the brain and the back part of the brain are actually slamming against the skull. On top of that, there's actually a rotational component. So you get some shearing, micro shearing, that's within the wiring of the brain. That's essentially what happens when somebody is hit on the head or body. But, you know, it's not really necessary to have a physical blow. What we're now starting to understand from um, studying the soldiers on the field is that blast injuries result in the same type of brain injury. The blast actually causes the brain to vibrate inside the skull. Wow. And it is a similar type of damage. So even if the body hasn't been, I mean, in those situations, would the body have been moved and blasted backwards as well? Sometimes the body has moved, but other times, you know, they're quite far away from the blast and it's just the impact of the vibration on, on the brain inside the skull that causes that. That's incredible. So you could be standing still and your brain still gets a concussion. That's right. Wow. That's right. And when you say shearing, is that like tearing of the wiring in the brain? Yes, micro-tearing is what we call it. So your brain is made up of gray matter and white matter. The, the white matter are actually, it's what we call the wiring that actually connects the neurons to each other. And that wiring starts to uh, get sheared. Uh, it creates a huge neurometabolic cascade, which means that there's quite a lot of changes within the ions in the brain itself. And this creates an energy crisis, so to speak. So there's a huge amount of energy required to deal with this injury. And that creates changes to brain function. That's why you end up with symptoms like headaches, dizziness, trouble concentrating and processing new information, trouble seeing, nausea. But it's only usually for a short period of time. This is Shreya McLeod. She's a physiotherapist and lecturer at the Australian Catholic University, and she's currently doing her PhD in sport-related concussion. And like she says, luckily, most people who get a concussion will recover on their own within about four-ish weeks. But, and there's always a but, there is a sizable portion, around 15 to 30 percent of people, who take much longer, months or sometimes even years, and they can be left with ongoing brain fog, trouble sleeping, mood changes like anxiety, even personality changes. I had this one woman who came to our lab who had fallen off a ladder. She said she used to be a very kind of type A personality, you know, very intense, very organized. And after the concussion, she was just so laid back. She feels like she's a completely different person. Is that the kind of change that would be permanent? Or would that sort of go away after a while? With her, it went away, but it took almost six months before it went away. Wow. How much force is required to result in a concussion? Like what tips a head knock over into concussion territory? Do we know? 
You know, there's been a lot of studies on this, and it, there doesn't seem to be a direct correlation with the amount of force or even where the person has been hit on the head or the body. Right. There's, it's so complex how the brain responds to that. I think part of it is, you know, first of all, whether someone's had a brain injury before, we know that there are certain kinds of genes that seem to be more linked to how quickly you recover from something. There's so many, many factors. So you take two people and hit them over the head with the exact same amount of force and in the same place, and they would probably experience that blow very differently. Or you take the same person and give them two separate knocks, and the experience can also be very different. That was the case for Louis Freeth. So initially, he was lucky. No one died in that car crash he was in, and his brain injury was mild despite what was a pretty dramatic crash. One lady saw it at the hostel from a distance, and what probably happened was that I turned right to go into the hostel, and don't ask me why this rule exists, but there was some unwritten rule in that specific rural area of South Africa that if you put on your right blinker, then it means I'm slowing down, overtake me. Oh. So so I went to turn right... And he thought, overtake, so he hit me right on the driver's side. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. And so I would have, I would have lost uh, consciousness and my foot probably went on the accelerator. Oh, and then, And then I went into a ditch on the side of the road and the car flew over the paddock fence and I went another probably 50 metres into the paddock. But when I got out of the car, didn't have a scratch on me, wow. um, felt okay, obviously a little groggy, but and then got into the ambulance, went to the hospital, like pretty remote hospital, mm. and I, I was fine. And I've thought about it since it happened, and I wasn't really using my brain in a very taxing way backpacking around, so I probably didn't test to see how it was feeling. Right. And the weeks and months following, no sort of effects afterwards? Um, I think if I had been working or studying, sure. then I would have noticed them, but I was able to do everything I wanted to do. I was also 22 or 23, mm. so I probably... Yeah, I sort of had a bit more of a carefree mindset. <laughs> but nine months later, back home in Newcastle, Lewis's carefree luck would run out. So growing up, I played a lot of rugby and I was playing for the University of Newcastle all through the first few years of uni up there. And this one is actually on video. I can show you after the recording. Oh, yeah. And it's probably one of the more spectacular head knocks you'll see. Can you actually show me while we're recording? Yeah, I can show you right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're yeah, if you're happy to share if that's not too hard to watch. No, no, it's uh I've watched it a lot of times. Gosh, okay. One of my friends made a meme about it actually. So. <laughs> okay. You well and truly processed then. <laughs> Before Lewis gets to the video, he shows me a photo of what he looked like after the hit. So this is the aftermath. Oh my gosh. Wow, that's a very black eye. Okay. Yes. In the photo, he's sitting up on what looks like the hospital bed. His right eyelid is shut, and it looks like someone's painted a big splotch of purpley black eyeshadow all across it. This is the video here. Okay. So I'm at the back. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're a rugby No, I know nothing about not. rugby at I, all. I'm uh, playing a position called fullback. Okay. I'm in the red and white. The Maitland player's in black. Okay. He kind of steps inside. And my own player, who was coming from behind to tackle him, <laughs> didn't adjust and just more or less uh, head-butted me. Okay. 
So this first time that Lewis plays the video, it's only four seconds long, and I see a bunch of people go down, but I miss the actual hit. Did you say that? No, hang on. That was hard to catch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'll point it out. Where are you? So that's me at the back there. Okay, yep. This time I've got my eye on him, and I see when the two heads make contact. And Lewis's head and neck jerk backwards at an angle really violently, and he falls to the ground. Oh, my God. That's the oh, reaction. Wow. Yeah, so you can see. So I was probably... That's a direct hit right to the yeah. head. You're straight down. Yeah, so I was probably 100 kilos there. And just via impact to my head, my feet left the ground. Yeah. As you can see. And what's really interesting... And he was fine? Like, because his, his head's smashing into yours. So he... he Got a concussion. Okay. Um, but if you look closely at the video, I was a bit more upright. Okay. And yeah. he was kind of bending down, ready for the tackle. Right. And so in terms of the actual impact on the brain, there wasn't really much. Right, okay. Um, whereas I copped a bit more of that one. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember him coming at you? Did you have any? Yeah. So what's really interesting and one of the things that kind of intrigued me with TBI was I actually didn't lose consciousness with that one. TBI stands for traumatic brain injury, which is what a concussion is. And I remember everything. And in terms of the effects in the weeks to month or two after, that that was much worse. But yet I didn't lose consciousness. Mm. So it showed me the maybe complexity of of the issue and how just putting it down to a simple, you know, did you lose consciousness or not, paints nowhere near the whole picture, yeah. After his hit, Lewis was immediately taken off the field. Part of me was thinking about going back on the field, which few great physios we had there convinced me not to. (laughs) Next, he was taken to hospital, where doctors found he'd fractured his skull and was at risk of infection. He was given antibiotics, and the next day, he was discharged. And so, once you were discharged from hospital, what information were you given about the concussion and, like, what to look out for and what to do to heal? It was a while ago now, but there definitely wasn't anything substantial told to me in terms of follow-up with anyone dealing with concussions or what to do for your brain health. Mm -hmm. There was, I would say, probably nothing. If, If there was something, I don't remember it. This was several years ago. It was back in 2017. So you'd hope things have changed a bit since then. But when Kate got her concussion this year, after falling off her bike, she also felt she didn't get enough information on what to do, apart from a pamphlet. The pamphlet was kind of like a cheat sheet and it was told to reduce screens for the next 48 hours to have someone with me. So you left hospital, you had this pamphlet. How did you feel about how equipped you were to monitor and deal with your concussion? Not equipped at all. I felt so out of my depth. There's this piece of paper telling me what to do. I'm the one who's concussed. I can't process information at the time. Over the following weeks, Kate found herself feeling more anxious and unable to concentrate. All of a sudden, it was just falling apart. I felt like I couldn't go to work. Remembering to do simple things like check emails and actually reply to them, which is Mm. something I experienced with my ADHD anyway, but that problem would persist more than normal. So all the things that I normally struggle with my ADHD, they suddenly became 10 times worse. 
A side note, having ADHD puts you at greater risk of getting a concussion and can make recovery harder. Because the brain is already working harder to respond to the environment. So having an additional load, which is created by a concussion, just increases the cognitive load. Physiotherapist Shreya McLeod says gender also plays a role. Females are more susceptible to head injuries than males. They tend to take longer to recover as well than males. That partly has to do with the fact that women have smaller necks. So when women take a hit, we can potentially get a stronger or higher whiplash, which then creates a change in the response to how we deal with concussion. But Kate had been told none of this. And then I think what happened is as my shoulder became broken, that was the more visible injury. So I would have friends, family, acquaintances come up to me and say, hey, Kate, how's your shoulder going? Instead of how's your brain going? Mm. So I think this is the insidious nature of concussion and mental health in general is that it's not visible. There are a number of factors that collide in a way that mean concussions don't often get the attention they need. Visibility is one, but there are a few others. First, if you're not a professional athlete, you're already at a disadvantage. People who are playing high-level sports have several health practitioners available to them. Athletes are dealt with in a sequential manner, in the sense that they are managed with what's called a head injury assessment process. It is very different in the community because there are no trained spotters, so to speak, and people playing sport in the community or people in the community don't have access to a concussion management team. This is the camp Lewis fell into. Even though he was playing rugby when he got his second concussion, it was at a university level. So while he initially had a team physiotherapist that got him off the field, in the weeks and months following, he was left to navigate his symptoms alone. And even though he was a medical student at the time, even he was confused, especially after one neurosurgeon said to him, Don't use your brain. And the other said, Use your brain as much as you can. Try to get it going. In my head, I was like, what? Which one am I bloody mm. doing? So, unless you're in high-level sports, there's no one to help you manage and navigate what to do afterwards. But why is that? Well, point two, concussions aren't the domain of any one medical specialty. Lewis knows this especially well because after medical school, he started training in neurosurgery before switching to psychiatry. TBI doesn't fit neatly into a specialisation. So it's, it's basically a structural problem with largely psychiatric symptoms. Mm. So working in neurosurgery, the question is, operate, yes or no? No? Okay, move on. Working in psychiatry, the structure of the brains I've never seen considered. Mm. And I think that's why TBIs slip through the cracks. And I think that that's a product of just the over over-specialisation when we're thinking, especially about the brain. Within medicine, when you're dealing with the brain, you've got neurosurgery, neurology and psychiatry. And I think to make our jobs as doctors easier, we like to pretend they're three largely <laughs> separate fields. And I think the lines between them are so much more blurred. A third factor that means concussions are often overlooked is simply that they're hard to diagnose. We don't actually have a good objective way to diagnose concussion. No blood tests, there's no scans. It's like the neuropsychological tests 
take a long time. They're pretty onerous. It's usually done through a physician doing various assessments just to look at very generally balance, memory, symptoms. But it, it is, it's not a very reliable way of diagnosing. But right now, that's all we have. And the final factor I'll mention here is the research on concussions has evolved rapidly. So not all clinicians are always up to date. Here's neuroscientist Dr. Nazanin Virji Babel again. For the longest time, when somebody had a concussion, the advice from the medical community was that you basically rest and rest in a dark room and don't go anywhere mm-hmm. and don't do any, you know, screen time, don't talk to people and just rest. I've had people come in my lab who have been resting in a dark room for several weeks and are just getting worse. And we now know from a lot of studies that prolonged rest is actually the worst thing. It actually delays your recovery, but it's also associated with greater mental health issues because you have someone who's usually, especially if it's the athletes, they're usually very social and now suddenly they're deprived of any stimulation. I think anyone would probably start to feel some anxiety, some depression. So I think now, uh, you know, all of us who work on concussion are trying really hard to get the, the word out to medical community, the health professionals, but also to people that the most that we're recommending is that you rest maybe for 24 to 48 hours. But after that, you really have to start getting up, exercising, whether it's through a stationary bike or going for a walk. We certainly want graded exposure. Physiotherapist Shreya McLeod agrees, slowly going back to your normal daily activities after a period of 24 to 48 hours is the way to go. So every 24 hours, we build on the amount of exposure to your normal activities. So every 24 hours, you progress through a different stage. If you find that your symptoms are exacerbated, we want you to drop back to the previous stage. And is that because you need to challenge the brain as it's getting better, so you're actually recovering fully? Is that why rest fully isn't recommended anymore? Correct. We want to provide the brain with the ability to gauge whether it's ready to move on to those activities. If you rest completely for longer than 48 hours, it actually is detrimental Mm. towards your outcomes. We used to think that concussion was just a simple ding to the head, you know, something not to be taken very seriously and that you would recover right away. And a lot of times we would hear this uh, from I would hear this from the participants who were coming into my lab that, you know, they got hit in the head, they felt dizzy, they wanted to step off the field and people would just say, you know, be a man, just get in there and playing. That was, you know, literally only 10 years ago where that attitude was that it's not serious and you should just keep playing. Now we know, and you know, 10 years is a fairly short time span in, in the field of research, but in within the 10 years, what we now really have a good understanding of is that concussion really is a traumatic brain injury. There's no question about that. And there are widespread changes because of the kind of damage that occurs in the brain. And one thing that I was quite surprised about when I started my research was the changes in emotion regulation. Mm. A lot of people would come to the lab and say, you know, my kid had this blow to the head. And now it's, this is not my child. You know, they're always upset, always crying, little things like they've completely changed their personality in terms of how we see them responding to just normal things that are happening in their environment. 
Emotional dysregulation was the hardest symptom Louis Freeth struggled with after his second concussion. He also had trouble concentrating and processing new information, but the emotional stuff really threw him. There's one instance I remember really clearly where I stubbed my toe on the, I don't know, a coffee table or a chair or something. And instead of, oh, Lewis, you've stubbed your toe, that sucks. Mm. Like, ordinarily, you'd be able to put that into some sort of context. This is going to be painful for a few minutes. It's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. Like, you can kind of talk to yourself Mm -hmm. like that. But I remember there was no processing there. So it was just like, instead of Lewis feels pain, it was just like pain. Only pain. When we spoke on the phone, you described it in a really incredible way. Um, You said how you stubbed your toe and your emotional response was like as if the world was ending. That's and that's what it 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 was I don't know how else to explain it, but that's that's what it felt like. Do we know why why that happens? Well, you know, one area of the brain that seems to be very vulnerable to this kinds of blows to the head is an area called the prefrontal cortex. And that area controls a lot of our emotions. It controls how we make sense of the stimuli that we're getting and how we respond to that and how we um, express and understand and perceive our emotions. So it's not surprising that we see that, especially with people people who've had multiple concussions. Thankfully, both Lewis and Kate eventually recovered from their concussions after about three to four months, but it wasn't easy. I definitely had to advocate for myself with my concussion. It's something that I had to seek out myself, and I would have kept wondering, there's got to be something else going on here. It's not just my ADHD. It's not just my ADHD medications. Kate ended up taking a few months off work to recover, but Lewis was mostly able to stay in medical school. The biggest change is he no longer plays rugby. Do you miss it? Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's the camaraderie and the physical challenge and the mental challenge of rugby. I wouldn't change the fact that I played rugby at all, and uh, I got a lot more out of it than, than damage. Now he's researching new and better ways of diagnosing concussions. We still don't know enough. Like, it's, it's not something that, you know, anyone can say based on data and science, X amount of concussions, this happens. And most TBI patients do recover. Mm-hmm. But I think the issue is they go through something which is very unfamiliar and can be very confusing and none of it's visible. It's the same with psychiatric illnesses, but depression much more talked about, anxiety probably more common as well, so people are more familiar with it. And it can present very similarly to something like that. And so a lot of people can be put on psychiatric medications with side effects when that's not the issue. And later in life with multiple concussions, that's where a lot of issues can happen, like there's links to it. Alzheimer's disease and dementia of different kinds, just generally your brain not functioning as well. I think people also think of like CTE. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's really only a new phenomena as well. But we don't know what's going on to 100% accuracy. And so based on what we know now, I want to leave people with a practical takeaway. What's your key message for what someone should do if they hit their head? I think if, if it's a severe hit or... If you experience any major changes, physically, vomiting, 
double vision or nausea, not just vomiting, major headache, anything like that, probably go to ED. Mm -hmm. You're always better off being safe than sorry. If there are any emotional cognitive changes, go see your GP. I think probably go see your GP either way. Mm -hmm. And I think just understand that there's not an exact correlation between how hard you hit your head and the impact that it has on your brain. And like I was saying before, it is who you are. It's the most important organ in my bias opinion. And you really should be putting very, very high priority on getting it checked out. That is Dr. Lewis Freeth. He's now training as a psychiatrist in Sydney. You also heard from Kate from WA, as well as Dr. Nazanin Virgi Babel, who is a physical therapist, neuroscientist, and associate professor at the University of British Columbia, and Shreya McLeod, physiotherapist and lecturer at Australian Catholic University. Shreya is also doing her PhD in sport-related concussion at the University of Newcastle. Now, one thing we didn't get into in this episode was how concussions are a bit different in children. They can take a lot longer to recover. You have this very active dynamic stage of development that's going on in the brain. And then all of a sudden you have an injury. You know, your brain now has to not only reroute and recover, but it also has to continue with the development. And I think that's why it takes longer. So just something to keep in mind if you have little ones at home. And that's it for All in the Mind this week. Thanks to producer Rose Kerr and sound engineer Russell Stapleton. I'm Sana Kadar. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. 